just the design. Like if you think about vintage black and orange Halloween decorations, there's just a graphic design quality to them. Just how everything was reduced to those few colors and yet perfectly represented. And you, it's just genius. Hello and welcome to AI Arts In, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and today I am with Coralette Demi. Hi. How are you? I'm great. So you are an artist, mm -hmm. you are an arts administrator, you are a set designer. What else are you? A butterfly farmer. Since I bought a home a couple of years ago, I've endeavored to convert the backyard into sort of a Florida native landscape with an emphasis on pollinators and larval host plants and things for butterflies and bees and snakes, things that people don't usually invite into their yard. But I draw a lot of inspiration creatively from nature and so it's a perfect tie-in because now I have instant source material in my backyard. Did you grow up here in this area? No, I grew up in Nebraska and so I have Midwest values and work ethics which have served me well. After college, I moved to Minnesota and lived in the Twin Cities for some time, which I thoroughly loved. But I was into scuba diving at the time, and I thought, why am I diving in these quarries and Lake Superior? There's like a mud skipper and a hunk of metal and a rock. Like, wasn't a lot to see. So I thought, well, where should I live that I could pursue this scuba interest? And in my young naivete, I thought, oh, well, Tampa St. Pete is sort of like Minneapolis St. Paul, so I'll just do that. And it'll just be exactly the same, only by the ocean. So here That's I am. Funny. I work part-time at the studio at 620, and the rest of the time I pursue whatever creative endeavors I can. I've done a lot of collaborative things from working with other artists to solo exhibits, retail. I have some work at the Chamber of Commerce store downtown. I'm at Representative Florida Craft Art. I teach classes everywhere, Dunedin Fine Arts Center. I organize craft events for other creatives to sell their work. You name it. You do a lot of printmaking. Mm -hmm. So in college, I actually was not an art major originally. It wasn't really something I considered. I mean, it was something I always kind of wanted to do, but it read to me, I was like, that's oh, not realistic. My family was very disappointed when I left journalism and languages to pursue art directly because they're like, oh, there goes your chance for making a living, you know, but ha ha ha, <laughs> I'm still making a living. So in school, after I made that change, I couldn't quite decide what media I wanted to work in. So I did sort of an equal emphasis between ceramics, painting, and printmaking. And I received this undergraduate Coleman Award for printmaking from the University of Nebraska. And I thought, huh, that's neat. But now I'm moving to Minnesota and whatever. So I just kind of didn't really absorb how kind of meaningful that was. Mm -hmm. And I did all kinds of things. I, I did stained glass. I did painting and I was applying to the cool art show that Pava puts on at the Coliseum every year and it was my first time applying to a big show and I didn't get accepted and they're like well because you're all over the place mm. you need to sort of hone in on what it is you really are best at because you're not bad at anything but you need to pick one thing and be a little more definitive in what you want to pursue, which I can appreciate that advice. But on the flip side, I'm like, mm, no one told Pablo Picasso he can do ceramics. Like, why can't I do multiple media? But I understand as an event organizer, you want to see 
a clear cut vision from an artist. Like I get it. So at that point I thought, okay, I'm just going to go with printmaking because I like it. Not a lot of people are doing it. I did get this award, so maybe it's something I should look at. And then I've just kind of dived into it. Now, right now, it is what I'm mostly focused on, but I do still have that lingering in the back of my mind, like, I really would like to paint again, so. In terms of printmaking, I have a real fondness for German Expressionist style. Like, they weren't highly concerned. They were expressive. They weren't trying to replicate what you can already see. And I guess I fall in that same category. Like when I draw something, I'm more interested in the design of it and not so much in the perfect representation of it. I'm, it's a skill and you can hone that skill, but I just don't get the emotional, creative excitement out of just replicating. I, I'm a great photographer too, you know, like, so I'm like, well, let the camera do that and let me put in my little quirkiness. My other inspiration besides nature is like Halloween and movie monsters and kind of scary stuff. Like I've always, since a kid, been fascinated with ghost stories and that scary sort of dark side of things. And so a lot of my beginning art, you know, was a lot of skull work and just anything kind of spooky. You think about a butterfly's wings and how they have those lines and things kind of make the design of the butterfly. Instead of stripes, I've kind of turned those into loosely shaped letters. And the letters spell out the words Fernweh and Heimweh, which are German words translated to wanderlust and homesickness. One wing is that desire to explore and be out there and go somewhere far away. And the other side is that self that just wants to be home and be a homebody. And really it's kind of my personality because I love to travel and I love to explore, but I definitely need a nest. I try to work these little German language bits into my art sometimes because I'm totally into German stuff. It's my background. And I kind of have this feeling that every piece of art is a self-portrait, whether you intend it to be or not. I think you just can't help it. I guess that's why I don't do a lot of custom work because I'm just not inspired by someone else's ideas. Like it really is a little bit therapeutic to, you know, work through some of these internal things and getting them out on paper. And then I think people respond to that as a viewer, they can relate to, oh, I have those same struggles and the, or those same appreciations of whichever it might be. And it kind of gives you a connection with the people that see your work in the end. Wanderlust and mm -hmm. homesickness, this magnet of home and the relationship of home. It it's was... been a long time theme, yeah. Yeah, your storytelling and the colors you use. Those are Minnesota colors in your work. <laughs> you know, um, As not... a, yeah, it's not the beachy aquas and peaches. And right. fuchsias and turquoises. Yeah, it's, no, that's it's reds and cali yeah, earthy. greens. Mm -hmm. and... Yeah, yep. Yeah, I still carry all that, whether I consciously or unconsciously, it's what I respond to. I think you're just born into a thing and that's yeah. what you are. I'm inspired by a lot of folklore and I do read a lot and I am inspired by traditional ideas or cultural ideas. Is your starting point an idea? I can't say that it's an idea, maybe more of a feeling. So I have two sides of my process. The idea generating side, 
I try to turn my brain off a little bit and be a little more subconscious. So I'll put on a podcast, something that engages the thinking part of your brain. So you're listening to the story. And while that's playing, then I'm just doodling, sketching, drawing, letting those things kind of bubble up. Then once I have some rough sketches of things and I feel like there's somewhere to go with that, then I switch to music. Then I have to focus and be a little more deliberate. Mm-hmm. And I try to just be open to whatever, wherever it's coming from, just let it happen. American Stage has taken this season of plays that they're producing and partnered an artist with each play. The artist then contributes elements to design the poster, and then you have a little mini solo exhibition in the lobby of the theater, and on opening night and on another separate night, there's a little reception for the artist. And part of the deal is that you would make a special piece of art inspired by the play, and so that is then given to the theater. So the play is Straits of Gibraltar. Yes. It's a romantic thriller. There are some interesting looks at cultural assumptions. And then also, you know, from a relationship aspect, crazy things you do when you're in love. In this sexy romance turned thriller, Miriam, a young American woman, and Samir, a Muslim man from Morocco, meet at a party and fall in love at first sight. When Samir tells Miriam he's undocumented, she offers to help. A smart, riveting play that looks at love, truth, prejudice, and civil rights in the age of the Patriot Act. Yep. The large piece that is inspired by the play. It was a little bit challenging to interpret interpersonal relationships into something visual. That's not really my bailiwick. I don't usually do people unless it's Vincent Price and Bela Lugosi. And how am I going to convey some of the elements of this play and still be true to myself as an artist and and not feel like it's a chore? So it was kind of a fun challenge. So given that it's a romance and given that I like symbols. So I've taken anatomical hearts and really the piece is just many layers of paint and screen printing and block printing and it's just kind of been building up. Uh, This is kind of the way I work is very, I don't want to say random, I guess I would say intuitive and you know most printmakers you have a block, you lay it on a press and you run an edition of 30 or whatever. I don't work that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I carve thousands of little blocks and stamps and I kind of mix and match and layer and combine them and it the composition just kind of builds as needed. So this piece it started out with a much gentler color scheme. It is sort of those aquas and lavenders and silvers and kind of soft romantic colors and the hearts which sort of tie into that concept of a romance smear the lead. His family in Morocco are honey traders. Where I felt I could latch on was, I think he talks a little bit about bees and honey and the wildflowers. And instantly I'm like, yes, that's, I can relate to that. Like, love, maybe I'm not so familiar, but bees, I'm totally down. (laughs) So yeah. And there is that birds and the bees kind of thing when you think about a romance and So it has bees in it and smaller, finer details that would make sense once you see the play. You've worked with images of anatomical hearts before. I like 
I like hearts. They're not pretty, but I think they're really interesting in their mechanics and, you know, what people associate with them. And then if you look at the reality of it, it's not all charming and pretty. It's, you know, it's it's a machine mm-hmm. and it's really, it's just interesting to me. Just the graphic shape of it and just how we have, as a culture, kind of taken this thing and morphed it into something totally different into something sterile. The thing about an anatomical heart is I frequently have had comments from people that are like, I'm a heart surgeon or I've had heart surgery and I'm intimately familiar with the workings and non-workings of this organ. And then you get the Valentine's Hallmark heart where it's really, the word that comes to mind is flaccid, I apologize, but it's really just, it's dead. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. it's just flat and it doesn't do anything. Like I think society tends to water down these things that are maybe a little bit scary, but also beautiful right? and make them into something, you know, palatable universally. And that just takes all the flavor out of it. It's almost like, you know, the butterfly part separating the butterfly part from how the butterfly got to be yeah. the butterfly. Yeah. Which is through this very intense yeah. transition. And mysterious. I mean and yeah. And icky. They come out and they are dripping this like rust colored fluid. It's yeah. So <laughs> I think from ru- heart and rust color fluids we get directly to horror and Halloween and, and Perfect segue. Right. Um thank you for mm-hmm. <laughs> helping. My pleasure. <laughs> So let's talk about that uh, movie and horror and scary. Yeah. Well, I always loved Halloween as a kid. Like, all the candy you want, you get to dress up and get all the candy you want. It's like the best day of the the year. Like, that's totally my thing. And just the, like, I love orange and I love black and just the design. Like, if you think back to, like, now Halloween decorations are very cute and, again, sort of all the scariness is really taken well you have super horror ones but back in the day if you think about vintage black and orange halloween decorations there's just a graphic design quality to them that Mm -hmm. i just i just cannot i try to replicate but i I just don't feel like i ever quite get there like it's just this perfect graphic design that i don't know why in my head i look at it and go oh that's that's the pinnacle someday i'll get to that jack-o'-lantern or a cat or a it's it's all of those things yeah all of that but there was just a way and sometimes it would have that weird green mixed in so it was just this really limited palette of orange green and maybe yellow or white and then the black and just how everything was reduced to those few colors and yet perfectly represented and it's just genius i just look at it and think is so genius to represent it in a limited way but where it's so just bold and there's way also a huge old german tradition of paper cutting that is sort of the same sort of silhouette kind of style Mm -hmm. and how those very simple but deliberate shapes really can say a lot even Mm -hmm. without all the detail like light from a fire Mm -hmm. or light from a candle yeah it's the same kind of it enhances like if you look at a face over a flashlight and you get those, you know, the cheekbones and the right. eyebrow ridge and everything kind of right. gets that shape. And mm-hmm. what's very light, what's lit is very, very bright. And then what's dark is very dark. Yeah. Whatever. Which is, I think, where I am so happy doing printmaking because just black and white can, it, it just fits that need for me. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? So 
I don't have a press. And since I've been out of college, I haven't had access to a press. And I did for a while try to hand print on paper. And I still do from time to time. If the piece, if that's what it's meant to be, that's what it's meant to be. But the thought of everything I make, I have to go through this tedious and boring process of just reprinting and rubbing it every time. Like, I just, I don't have time for that. Mm. Like, I just, my mind, I just can't do it. So I'm like, okay, I don't have a press. The hand printing is fine, but it doesn't always get the exact results I want consistently over. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just not do it like this. Like, this isn't working for me. What else can I do? And I thought, okay, well, so it has evolved into now where I'm not even printing on paper. I'm printing on wooden panels. And what I do is I take my primary, like, I know usually the main heart of the image is going to be whatever it's going to be. Let's say like a piece I just finished was like a snake with an anatomical heart. Okay. I'll print those in black first. And I just put them in what I feel is a good compositional sort of layout, like ink them up and press them onto my wooden panel. And I just do 20 wooden panels with whatever combination or whatever piece I'm working on. So like the butterfly thing, maybe I'll make three of those or four of those and I'll just print the black, like the blue J piece, you know, I'll just print the bird and then all that ink dries. And then on my next day off, (laughs) whenever that happens to be, you know, so it's like I have Wednesdays off, that's my art day. And then I have weekends off from work. And um, usually one of those is spent doing a market unless it's summer. So say on Wednesday, I'll print all the black layers on my panels and those dry until Saturday or Sunday when I can get back to them. And then I whip out all my colors, colored inks and stamp pads and different things. And I just start building them up. Like for the butterfly, I have a uh, blanket flower sort of inspired block that goes with it. And so I'll probably it looks like underprinting because it looks like you print all those colored things first and then put the black on top. That's not how it works. It's the opposite of that because I use a more translucent and less opaque colored inks. So they start filling in the background and and then if it needs more black stuff, then I'll get the black ink out and add a little bit of that. So, so yeah, so I knew I wanted this blanket flower stamp because the butterflies and the blank flowers are what's in my yard. But I also have a huge steel case filing cabinet. Each drawer holds about four shoe boxes. And I think five of the eight drawers are filled with shoe boxes of stamps. And then I have other tubs for bigger stamps and whatever. And so I have sort of a, if you think of like letterpress printing and how they have their Mm -hmm. cases and type drawers, I have my like Halloween and have symbols and I have runes and I have letters and I have words and I have, you know, these are all the hands. These are all the hearts. These are all the trees. These are all the mm-hmm, plants. These mm-hmm. are all the cats, you know? And so I have all of these little boxes and it's usually what happens at the end of after I'm doing the, you know, secondary layers is that every surface in my studio is piled with odd little stamps and it's just mountains. And then I have to sort them all and put them back away and and then it just starts over again. Well, this is so interesting to me because, you know, when you look at your work, it looks like print. But as we're talking about it, it's a compilation. Certainly there's a sculptural aspect to your carving. But there's like all this three-dimensional stuff that you've made. Right. It's reflected in this two-dimensional work, of course. Yeah. But I mean, the sculptural aspect of the blocks themselves, it is pretty phenomenal. Like, it really shows the hands-on 
sort of craftsmanship side to it. And, you know, and I have these two little tools that make two shapes of gouges and everything comes from that same two things. Wow. Yeah. Pretty much if I'm not at work and not getting exercise, I'm making art. Your work, though, is art related. It is, yeah. So the studio at 620 is a nonprofit that does visual and performing arts. They uh, foster emerging artists and, you know, I mean, they do everything. Plays, music, poetry, visual art. I mean, you name it. They do it there. Radio theater. I am the director of marketing and administration, which sounds really fancy. I maintain the website. I manage our memberships, coordinate all of the print collateral and social media, schedule events and do rentals and yeah, everything. I always joke that I'm the enabler because since the answer is always yes, it's definitely welcome for me to say, hey, this is a program I'd like to do. And we've done that. Like I've, we partnered with Boyd Hill and I ran. a nature preserve. Yes, a nature, again. (laughs) And uh, I thought, oh, I love Boyd Hill and I love, I want to do more drawing. Wouldn't it be cool to have a chance instead of doing figure drawing with people we could do drawing of some of their raptors from the aviary there. And they could have this opportunity to like show what their facility has to artists and artists would have a chance to learn about some nature and everyone is like this great synergy of things. And so we did these classes and they brought a vulture and an owl and a hawk. And it was just the coolest thing, you know, enable these really great events to happen. And Studio 620 is really one of the, it's one of the events, the creation of Studio at 620 that really changed St. Petersburg and put it on the trajectory that it is now. Yeah. So they started in 2004. I've been working there since 2008. So back when I started there, there weren't as many venues as there are now for creative endeavors. You know, we were there as the studio making this initial foray into what now is, you know, the hotspot of town. So the model there of not limiting yourself to one type of creativity, which I can totally relate to, I think has been picked up by other arts organizations now much more than it was when they first started. Mm-hmm. So, I did a solo show and it was called Lost in the Wilderness. Like, still working on that same not at home quite yet theme. Part of the experience, you know, the studio is a big space and you can have art on the walls, on the perimeter, but what are you going to do as an artist to fill that big center empty hole? Like you can't just let people walk in and have nothing there. Like that feels incomplete to me. So for that show, I printed these trees. I sort of made like a pseudo path through the woods, if you will. And I printed these large banners that hung from the ceiling that was just a repeated design of some trees. And as you would walk through the trees, there was a path that was lined with logs, which I took my happy little vehicle to the uh, yard recycling place and picked out the logs that spoke to me. And I went and made this little path through through the space and there were little luminaries. I had screen printed on some brown bags and had little candles inside. So with most of the light in the gallery being focused at the walls, then at night during the reception, there was this kind of magical Mm. entrance and you would go down this path and there was candlelight and there was a sound track for the show and it was a CD I got from the library, which support your local libraries, I'm all about it. 
it was basically swamp sounds. And so it was like the Florida frogs, like pig frogs and alligators sort of grunting and all the night sounds Mm. of a Florida swamp. So it was this kind of immersive thing. If you got there early before everyone got there and we were all chitter chattering and you couldn't hear it, but if you got there early or had a chance to be there alone, it was kind of this really cool experience of being immersed in the sound and yet, and you know, this... It sounds magical. It was. I'm, I'm more and more leaning towards magical thinking, like what you think you create. And if you can see it, you can be it. Like that's always sort of been my mantra. So I'm like, I just try to visualize, like, what would it feel like? What do I want people to feel? And then I try to create a world around that. It's fun. I've had a couple of opportunities to do large installations like that. First night for a while would have these pods that you could create a experience in. And so, which is sort of like a haunted house too, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like you kind of walk in and, and you're in this new world. And so I did for first night several years ago, this thing, and I called it first night in the black forest. And I screen printed wallpaper and I wallpapered the sides of, of the pod, you know, those storage pods. Yeah. So it had all these like cuckoo clock images for the wallpaper, but instead of a cuckoo, it was a bear coming out. And then instead of hands on the clock, it was bones and like, and the little pendulum like had a skull on it. So it was like a little bit creepy, but you wouldn't notice it if you didn't look at it directly. And then in the middle of the pod, I had made out of huge pieces of foam core, like these trees and bears. There were like bears everywhere, which is an animal I totally have a fondness for. And then I laid this cottony stuff down on the floor of the pod. So it was like you were walking in the snow, in the woods, and the walls were white. And it was all... And I had red and blue Christmas lights across the top so that as you went deeper into the forest it got scarier. So it started out blue and cute. And then you're like, oh, Mm. cute evening. And then as you get towards the back where there's no escape, it was red and scary. And there was Mm. like bears hiding behind the trees. And and my my boyfriend, I had sewn this bear costume. So he got to be, (laughs) he wore the bear costume and stood outside. And so that kind of is so fun. Like I love doing that. And you create this, this experience for people. That's why thank you to people who give you grants so that you can do these things that aren't about making money. They're just about making an experience for people. Yeah. And it's so fun. It's just so fun. Dunedin Fine Art Center has their Contain It show. I did one there called the Shadow Gallery, and I had cut all these silhouettes out and used lights to, um, instead of looking at artwork, you were looking at shadows, basically. And then my most recent solo show at the studio had sort of a installation by the front door where you had to pass through. It had all these pieces of wood cut out that had different symbols and things on them that were representing cultural symbols for different kinds of blessings, whether it was good health or prosperity or what, I, and even some that I made up for myself, you know, things that I associate with eyes or hands. And so you had to walk under this almost sort of a curtain of blessings to mm. enter the show. So it was like a way of absorbing all these good magical thoughts, if you will, as you went into the exhibit and then saw the artwork. I mean, that's the beauty of having a gallery show as opposed to doing a market is you have this opportunity to create something more than just seeing art on the walls. Like it's a very gestalt kind of the sum is more than just the dots. It's an experience. So. Well, Coralette Dammy, thank yes. you so very much. Thank for, you. Uh, I really am delighted to... to think new ways about hearts and <laughs> and butterflies and butterflies <laughs> and raptors and right much appreciated yeah thank you
I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.